Well, hello. Good morning. Hey, it is, uh, it's a true honor and a privilege to be in here with you guys today. As I said in my intro earlier, I've been with junior hires all week. So, and they're awesome and fantastic, but it's fun, uh, it's fun being with you. Have you guys had a good week so far in Ponderosa? Yeah? Um, you guys are lucky to have Darren as a speaker. He's just incredible. I love that guy. And so um, I, uh, I am um, I'm just in love with Hume. I love Hume Lake. I got saved. There, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten. Okay, guy scratching his neck right there. It looks like you might have curly hair with an angel's hat. I was sitting right there, summer of 2005, and I gave my life to Jesus right in that very seat right there. And... Uh, 18 years ago. Now, um, I'm going to give you an introduction, and, and it's going to be a part of my seminar today, but uh, I, I gave my life to Jesus there, and uh, shortly after that, I attended the Joshua Wilderness Institute up here at Hume Lake. After that, I became a youth pastor. After that, I got married. Um, after that, as in between being a youth pastor uh, I worked up here at Hume Lake, ran a camp called Wildwood and Winter Camp, and then from there I became a pastor, and now I run a nonprofit organization called Onward that exists to help young ministry leaders find longevity and health in their ministry careers. So did you notice what I just did? I just told you who I was based off of what I do. And that's what we tend to do as humans. As humans... Our entire sense of identity and self-worth for the average person is wrapped up in what they are currently doing or what they have accomplished in life. Do you, do you see what I'm trying to illustrate there? So I want to ask you a question, okay? And I actually want you to write this question at the top of that paper that I told you you need to have. Does everybody have a paper and a writing utensil? Everyone has one. If you don't have one, could you just put your hand up so someone next to you can pass you a piece of paper? Looks like we just have the one in the back and a couple back here. Cool. So what I want you to do is at the top of this paper, I want you to write down who am I with a question mark. Who am I and then a question mark. Okay? That question of who are you is something that you are going to get asked all throughout your life. But it's also something that you are going to ask yourself for the rest of your days. It's important for us to have a strong sense of our own identity because if we don't know who we are, no one else can know who we are. But we live in a time and we, and we exist in an era of human culture where our identity is oftentimes defined by what others perceive or tell us we are. And more often than not, that identity is wrapped up in what you do, the type of person you're attracted to, the type of college you went to, the type of job that you have, the things that you're known for. Maybe you're an athlete. Maybe you're smart. Now, those things may be true, but they're not the truest thing about you. And so this morning, what I'd love to do for you is I would love to give you a framework for you to contemplate this week for you to talk with your youth pastor, with your friends about, a framework that comes straight out of scripture that looks at four primary identities that we have as human beings, okay? And the way we're gonna do this is through drawing four concentric circles on this paper, okay? So concentric circles kind of look like a bullseye, 
all right? So I want you to draw maybe like a half dollar size circle in the middle of your paper, and then one just a little bigger, and then another, and then another, until you have what looks like a four-ringed bullseye on your paper, right? Had I known I would be in Ponderosa Chapel, I have a slideshow that goes with this, but we're just gonna, we're gonna go this way, because I truthfully didn't think this many people would wanna come. I thought we'd be on the volleyball deck, but here we are. All right, so you're gonna draw four concentric circles, basically a bullseye, all right? And what we're gonna do throughout the next 20 minutes, 25 minutes, is we're gonna fill these circles in, and by the end of it, you're gonna have language to wrestle with straight out of scripture where God's word tells you these are the identities that you wear as a human being. Sound good? Cool? All right, so here's how we're gonna start this time off. Now we have our paper, we've asked some big questions, we've drawn some circles. Here's what I want you to do. We're gonna take the next 30 seconds, and I want you to think about how you would answer this question, who are you? How would you answer the question, who are you? And I'll call on some of you, so let's just take 30 seconds, you alone in your mind, how would you answer the question, who are you? Lots of thinking going on, I love it. I can hear the gears turning, who are you? Does anyone have an answer? I would say that I'm an equal individual who has been saved by the love of Jesus Christ. That's your identity, that's who you are, okay? All right, yes? A little louder, sorry. Mom of three, name is Casey. Yeah. Crispin, Christian, Crispin. Hi, Crispin. Uh, Christian, husband, father, coach, employee. Got it. What do you coach? Right on. Yes. One more time. Athlete of God. All right. Tells me a lot about you. He's the God of all athletes. That's good. I like that. That'd be a sweet nickname. Um, yeah. Imperfect child of God. Okay. Yeah, over here. Okay, got it. Child of God. Here, there. Uh, let's come on this side. Who are you? No one can really answer this question for you. That's why it's such a good question. Go ahead. Yeah. Student, water polo player, Christian, sister. Love it. What else? Who's got one? In the back. I heard artist and daughter. What was in the middle? Teacher and writer. Teacher and writer. Got it. Artist, teacher, writer. Perfect. Okay, let's get two more. Yes? Student, wrestler, musician, and actor. What weight class? Nice. Right on, man. What high school you go to? No, he doesn't go. Who, do you, who are you wrestling? Who are you? Re what high school you go to? Okay, cool. Elk Grove. Shout out to Elk Grove. Yes, right here. Child of God. Love it. Yes. Yeah. Water polo. Sibling. Christian. Imperfect Christian, I heard. What was the last part? An older brother. An older brother. Okay. All right. So what you guys just did is you told me and everyone else in here uh, who you are. 
And no one gave a wrong answer because only you know who you are. And while each of those things, I'm certain, are true about you, I don't know that we quite nailed what is the truest thing about you. The purpose of me asking that question wasn't to make you look dumb and have an existential crisis in chapel and go, I don't know who I am anymore. Like, that's not, that's not what we're here to do. But what we are here to do is to build the beginnings of a theological framework for you to understand who you are, okay? And so, what are the truest things about you? Again, each of what you shared, those are true things about you. But what's the truest thing about you? In order for us to do that, I want you to take that first circle on your paper, and I want you to write down these words. This is the first identity that you have as a human being based off of what we read to be true in Scripture. The first identity that you wear as a human being is that you are someone who was made in the image of God. So write image of God in the middle of that circle, image of God. Now, this may not be revolutionary. No one yelled amen at me. No one was like, what? Uh, you've probably heard this, okay? But hearing this and understanding this are two very different paradigms, right? Like, like knowing this to be factual about yourself is one thing, but living out of this core identity is an entirely different concept. Well, where does this idea come from? Where does the idea come from that every single person within the sound of my voice right now, every person on this beautiful campus in the middle of Sequoia National Forest, every human that has ever walked the face of this earth bears this first and foremost primary identity, where does that come from? It comes out of the first chapter of your Bible. First chapter of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 it says this, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. Friend, the, the truest thing about you is that you bear the image of the divine. The first and most primary identity that you have as a human being is that you are somebody who was formed and fashioned in the identity and the image of God Almighty. Now, now this is not just true of you. This is true of that person sitting in front of you, that person sitting behind you, that person to your left, that person to your right. This primary truth is why Christianity is at the center of 70% of adoption agencies globally. Like this truth that humans are made in the image of God is the reason why Christians tend to fight for the lives of the unborn. This, this truth that we are made in the image of God is the reason that 56% of hospitals around the world are started by Christian organizations. Why? Because we all bear the image of God and are therefore deserving of dignity and respect and honor as people. We, first and foremost, are people who bear God's very image. When's the last time you looked in the mirror and thought about that? They say that sometimes the longest journey we can take is the 18 inches from our head to our heart. 
Like, it's easy to recite this as a truth, but it's an entirely different thing for you to live this as a truth. The way that you view yourself, the way that you respect yourself, the way that you love others, the way that you view other people, even that sibling, a bunch of you shared, I'm a sibling. Like, that, that's good and bad, right? Because you're like, I love my brother, and then you're like, I hate my brother, you know, because that's your sibling. Like, when's the last time you looked at your sibling in a way of like, that's someone who bears God's very image? You have worth, you have value, you are deserving of honor and dignity because this is the first and foremost primary identity that the Bible gives us. A couple other thoughts on this, and we'll move on to the second ring. Psalm 139. If you have that turn there. Again, I apologize for not having these on the screen, but here we are. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 say this. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before just one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast are the sum of them. The psalmist in this passage is writing this exact truth that we just unpacked together that you are made in the image of God. The encouragement I have for you based off that truth is for you to begin looking at yourself through that lens, to begin seeing yourself the way God sees you, that you're an image bearer, someone who bears his very image. All right, ring two. We unpacked that one. We, uh, we got a lot out of that. Let's go to ring two, okay? Ring two. I'll start with a verse, and then I'll tell you what to write. Ring two tells us in the book of Ephesians, Paul prays this incredible prayer for the church in Ephesus. In chapter 3, verses 16 through 20, Paul prays this. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He says, I pray that God would give you strength through the power of his spirit in your inner being. That's identity language, isn't it? That's, that's like core language, like that you inside of yourself would know this to be true about you. This is one of those truths. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, identity language, through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul prays for the church in Ephesus that they would begin to believe in their innermost core part of themselves that they are loved by God. That they are loved by God. In that, in that second ring, you could write loved by God, you could write beloved I don't quite know when to use beloved, but this feels like an appropriate time to use the word beloved, right? Like you could write that in there. And so I realized that as a, as a camp, you guys have been unpacking the theme about Daniel. And we've looked at a couple things so far. We've looked at Daniel's resolve. We've looked at the sovereignty and goodness of God. We've looked at the instance of the fiery furnace, right? But, but here, here's something that has time and time again proven to be true in the life of Daniel, that he's loved by God. 
Here, here's something that I want you guys to know, and maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't heard this, I'm assuming most of us have, but, but there is a God who loves you so much, the Bible teaches, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God has love for you as his children. God has love for you as his creation before you have done anything. Because look at those two core identities that we've talked about. Before you've done a single thing, you've been made in God's image and you've been loved by God. You have brought nothing to the table. And the fullest expression of God's love for you was shown on Calvary's cross when Jesus took the weight of sin the weight of the world's sin upon his shoulders and was crucified and resurrected as a result of it. The thing that motivated Jesus to do that for us, the thing that motivated God to offer up his son as an atoning sacrifice is because he loves you. And again, like most of these things that I'm gonna share with you, it's, it's easy to say, it's different to believe. And sometimes I think flashcard theology gets us in trouble. Flashcard theology is the kind of thing where I go, what's John 3, 16? And you go, for God to love the world, that he gives one only son, whoever believes in his everlasting life. Got it right, didn't I? Now, you may know the verse, but do you know it to be true about you? you? You may know that you're made in God's image or that you're loved by God, but do you live out of the expressed reality that you have nothing to prove and nobody to impress? Think about that for a second. You have nothing to prove and nobody to impress. But because before you've done anything, you've been created in the image of God, who 1 John 4, 8 says, is love and are therefore loved by God. There's two identities. Now let's pause for a second. I want you to process this. Does anyone have a question in line with, with these first two things that I just talked about? Is there a question? I want to make sure that we're comprehending this. If not, we'll jump to ring three. All right. Ring three. You can write gifts and talents in ring three. Gifts and talents. Gifts and talents. Ephesians 2.10 is where we get this concept from. And Ephesians 2.10 says... For we are God's handiwork. Greek word there translated into English is poema. It means masterpiece. Doesn't that just exactly illustrate what I told you about yourself, that you're made in the image of God? He says, for we are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's poema. We, we, are, we are something that, that God spoke stars and, and, and light and earth into existence. But when it comes to you, fellow human, he took his time. He formed and fashioned you. He, he, he breathed into Adam his very breath, his ruach, the Bible teaches. Right? And so what, what Paul is telling the church in Ephesus here is he's reminding them of a primary core identity that is massively important for them to understand. And it's that you are God's masterpiece. Now, as a result of that, he says that you've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. As a result of being God's masterpiece, the Bible teaches that he has pre-built you with software. Has anyone gotten a new phone recently? Yeah? Well, why don't you check your privilege, okay? I'm just joking. Uh, but who's, who's gotten a new phone? 
I'm, I'm totally joking. Who's got a new phone right here? All right, so you took the phone out of the box. What kind of phone was it? iPhone, iPhone. I, who am I talking to? Okay, I'll talk to him. All right, you're like, iPhone, iPhone. Of course, we all have iPhones. Uh, if you don't, then you're the green person in the chat. We don't like that. Uh, yeah, they always get so offended, and I'm like, I just don't want to text you. Your pictures don't come through the right way. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, all right, okay. So you got an iPhone. How long ago? About two months ago. All right, you take it out of the box. What do you do? Yeah, you like turn it on, and then what? Yeah, you like type in your password, and then all your apps, exactly where they were on your previous home screen, your, your text messages, your pictures. Am I wrong? Right, all of that comes to your contacts. Now, some of us in the room are old enough to remember the days where we had to take our brick phone to Verizon, and they would thumb through a, do a, a drawer of cables that like matched the new phone you got, and you'd have to literally sit there for an hour and a half while like all of your contacts transferred. Anyone remember that? And then like by the time you were done, you had 40 phone numbers for your dad and 30 for your mom and 20 for that person that you're not sure why they're in your phone, but now you have to take the time to delete 20 versions of their phone number. What this verse is telling us about ourselves is that the gifts and talents that you have are intrinsic to you. That God has made you with things to offer this world to be an expression of his love so that you could be a light in a dark place. Let me use a really basic example. I'm using one of those gifts right now. I'm using one of the gifts that God gave me for his glory here this week at Hume Lake. The, the point of that is not to put the spotlight on me or to say, look how great I am. But when I say yes to teach, it's me saying yes to the path and plan that God has for me. Uh, athlete God over here, right? What sport do you play? What's your name? Carlos. I'd rather call you Carlos, right? So you wrestle and play football. And track. And track. How long have you been doing it for? Uh, played football for sixth, seventh grade. Yeah. Since fourth grade. And how did you get into these sports? Uh, my dad. Your dad, yeah. And what did your dad do? What did he do? What, what did he play? He played football at Penn State. Yeah. W would you say, and we'll say this with full humility, okay? You're not going to uh, offend me. Would you say that, that you had a natural propensity to be an athlete? Like, obviously, skill takes time. But when it came to wrestling, playing football, track, like, you, you understood it. Yeah, this is what we're talking about. Is anyone in here just exceptionally smart? That's almost a mullet, dude. Those two things typically don't go together. But we're breaking molds, and I love it. Okay, tell me, tell me, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, one thing, what's your name? One thing about Caleb is he very slowly raised his hand. I appreciate that, that's humility. But I, the question was, is anyone smart? Are you, are you gifted academically? Tell me why you raised your hand to say yes. You don't try and you get it. Okay, all right. Okay. Uh, when, did you, when did you realize, like at what age or stage of life did you realize that like learning comes more natural for you? High school. High school. Awesome. Who else? We had another smarty pants right here. Yes. Uh, good question. Okay, that's a smart question. See, she's already displaying her intelligence right here. Um, uh, at what age did you realize that you, you could learn things? Seventh grade. And what made you realize that about yourself? Um, I was in all good classes. 
on, as a seventh grader. You were, ar you're, you were already smarter than me. I took ninth grade classes as a senior in high school. Uh, so opposite is true. Um, all right, let's take some other things. Is anyone in here just like an exceptionally good cook? And this one makes seem funny, and I, no way you all are. There's like not a chance that you're all good at cooking. But here's the, here's the, here's the illustration I would use. Like there's people, who, there's people who naturally know how to balance out a flavor. So here's how you know you're a good cook. You don't measure everything, right? Like if you're saying you're a good cook because you can follow like the science manual that is a recipe book, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to that person that can just be like, it needs a little more salt. It needs a little more fat. It needs a little more acid. Boom, we good. Who's that? Yeah? Guy with beanie, what's your name? Ezra. Ezra, how, when did you learn that about yourself? Just came pretty natural, right? Yeah. So, so the, the reason I'm talking about sports and academics and, and, and things that we might call hobbies, talents, things like that, is because where your interests are and where your passion is, typically therein lies something that God has already put in you. Okay, so before I was ever a Christian, I was always comfortable talking in front of people. I think that's something that God had hardwired in me. And the closer I grow to Jesus, the more I want to be faithful with those things that he has pre-built in me. Now, the onus is on you to figure out what those are. That's a whole nother seminar for a whole nother day. But the point is, the Bible teaches that one of your core identities is the fact that you are a masterpiece that was created to do good works. That, that you hold the capacity in and of yourself to offer goodness to this world through tapping into your core identity. I think athletics may be one of the easiest ways to see this. You see Tiger Woods swing a golf club. You see LeBron James play basketball. Or Michael Jordan. I, I think he's the GOAT personally, but whatever. Uh, yeah. All right, no one hated on me for that. I like it. Uh, all right, gifts and talents. Okay, let's go to the fourth ring. And then we're going to look at one last kind of piece of this puzzle. But the fourth ring is this. The fourth ring, and you can write this on the most outside part of this circle. The fourth ring, you're going to write this. You ready? You're going to write my body. Write my body. You could also write physical self. You could just look at your hand for a second and get weirded out when you realize you have one and your brain makes it move. I do that sometimes. Like, what in the world is happening right now? It's gone. All right, here's where this concept comes from. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Actually, we'll start at 18, because y'all are a bunch of high schoolers, and this verse may hit home with somebody, okay? Ready? Verse 18 says this. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, that was not the point. I just included that verse because the Holy Spirit may be speaking to some of you, okay? All right, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So for those of us who are followers of Jesus, for those of us who have offered our lives to Christ and accepted his free gift of love, what we've learned about ourselves in that moment is that, that we are now the temple of God. 
that, that the Spirit of God now resides within us, okay? That we no longer have to go to the tabernacle, offer up a sacrifice so a priest can take it behind the curtain so that things can be made right with God. Jesus already took care of that. And so the commandment is that we would honor God with our body. Now, now the bigger principle here, the, the reason I share this verse, is because what you're watching me do is you're watching me express electrical firings within the synapses of my brain, and then you see me take a deep breath, and then you're hearing the noise that's made when my vocal cords compress that air and push it out over my tongue and teeth so that you can hear a thought that I had in my head come out verbally. You're also watching a six foot five, 300 pound man walk around on stage trying really hard to help you understand a little bit more about your identity. What's the point? The point is your body is a part of who you are, but your body is not all of who you are. And, and so what I want you to hear really clearly as a group of high school students and counselors and youth pastors that are here in Ponderosa this week is that you have a body, you are not just a body. Right, so the fourth ring is your body. Let's look at what happens when we reverse the order of our identity. And if I'm a betting man, in our unhealth, we tend to do this all the time. The average person walks around thinking that because my physical self is what interacts with the world, this has to be on point. I wanna look good, I wanna sound good, I wanna have smart things to say. This is why so many people identify with their sexual preference or their identity, that tends to lead the way. But, but, but if that has a place in here, it's, it's the physical self, it's not the most inner part of who you are. And when we begin to take things that are outside and make them intimate inside parts of us, we completely miss the created order that God created us to live within. And so if I am just a body, then what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get other people to accept my six foot five, 300 pound, 36 year old self in this world. And if I can do a good job at that, then I can actually gain some gifts and talents. That was ring three. And if I have gifts and talents, maybe I can be impressive, maybe I can be successful. And if I can become impressive and successful, then I might maybe, just maybe, feel as though I'm worthy of love. And if I'm worthy of love, I might just believe that there's something or someone greater out there who has a life and a purpose and a plan for me. I think the danger for all of us, but specifically your generation, is that we let the body lead the way. We tend to let the external self be the thing that identifies with the world who we are. And when we do that, we put ourselves on this perpetual hamster wheel trying to earn love so that we can have self-respect. Friend, before you're anything, you're made in the image of God. Before you've offered anything to God, he's shown that he loves you. Because he loves you, and because he wants other people to know these things to be true about themselves, he's given you gifts and talents to share with the world around you. And how has he done that? He's done that through you having a body, through you being able to interact with other humans who also have bodies and brains and ears and thoughts and minds and all those things with the world. Get the order right. The challenge I have for you, and I'll pray, and I think the seminar is supposed to be over right now, but the challenge that I have for you is I want you guys to take some time today and I want you to just think about these things that I shared with you. How could life look different if you began to accept the reality that you yourself were made in the image of God and are therefore loved by him? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these students. Uh, 
so many faces and, and people in here I don't know, will probably never know. But I pray the thing, God, that, that they walk out of here with is a stronger and better sense of who they are. That they wouldn't allow this world to tell them who they are. That they wouldn't become the sum total of their accomplishments and accolades. But God, that they would know this to be true about themselves, that they bear your image and are deeply loved by you. Would you provide their counselors and youth pastors wisdom to help them navigate this world, help them to understand more deep truths about who they are? We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank